did you decide when the right time was to become pregnant? It was interesting. No one ever sat me down and was like, well, you can't have a baby. But at the same time, I never saw it celebrated. I kind of felt like, okay, well, that's something that will happen when I'm done competing. Allison Felix has more Olympic medals than Carl Lewis, more world titles than Usain Bolt. Allison Felix is going to win this by a huge margin. She is the GOAT. One of the all-time great athletes our sport has ever seen. Felix used her legs to become the most decorated track athlete in American history, though it wasn't until her journey into motherhood that she found and used her voice. Here is the opportunity to stop asking for change and to create it. From WBEZ Chicago, this is Art of Power. I'm Arthi Shahani. Today, Allison Felix's metamorphosis. From quiet superstar to unexpected activist, the daughter of a pastor and a teacher, she discusses her early years when she avoided politics and also happiness. We dissect just how she found herself in the center of a massive battle over maternal rights and why exactly she took on her corporate sponsor, the biggest name in footwear, Nike. If I lose everything, if I never have another sponsor, I just deeply believe that this is the right thing to do. Think on your feet for our Fast and Curious 5K, a -a one-of-a-kind race hosted by WBEZ and the Chicago Sun-Times on Saturday, July 27th at Humboldt Park. More info and early bird registration at wbez.org slash events. You could divide Allison Felix's life into two parts. Adult Allison, a mother and entrepreneur who makes decisions based on deeply held values. And then there's young, hyper-competitive Allison who existed for the gold. It's all she cared about. I mean, the most micro decisions of your life were organized around this subconscious and conscious, I need that gold. It was your North Star. Mm-hmm. Most decorated American Olympian in track and field history. More Olympic track and field medals than anyone in the U.S., man or woman. I want to hear about how you made sports history. But first, I got to ask you, once you mm-hmm. got that gold, what became your new North Star? That's such a good question. I almost want to say that that other North Star found me. And I think once I started to learn a bit more about what I could do with my platform, that became it. It was like, wow, it's it's not just about running fast. It's about fighting for women and standing up and, you know, all these other things. But it took such a journey to get to that place. You started competing in the Olympics at age 18. It was the 2004 Summer Olympics in Athens. She's only 18 years old. She already has been on the cover of Sports Illustrated. Yeah. The way it kind of works in track and field, a lot of athletes start at a really young age, like five, you know, and they're doing age group track and they're, you know, doing all those things. I had a different experience. I I kind of played all sports growing up. And then in high school, I found track and field. 
And so things moved very quickly for me. Allison has graduated from high school and now attends the University of Southern California. I started my freshman year in, in high school and four years later, you know, um, I found myself in the Olympics. So it was definitely a, a whirlwind experience. <laughs> I'm jealous. <laughs> There's nothing I picked up in high school that led me to that. <laughs> I, it was definitely not on my radar. You know, I uh -huh. wanted to be an elementary school teacher. Like I had a whole different plan for my life. And so uh -huh. I feel like I stumbled into track and field and I'm, I'm so grateful and happy that I did. But it definitely uh, surprised me as well. <laughs> And the gun sends them on their way in the 200-meter final. Allison Felix. You go into your first Olympics. Felix trying to catch up. Veronica Campbell has the lead. And you win. Uh, I got second. Campbell will cross the line to win it with Felix second. Silver. Yeah. Right. And, and so this is... Um, even the way you say it just now, the inflection. No, Arky, I didn't win. I got second. <laughs> yes. 18-year-old Allison Felix was not happy with her silver medal. I was not. I, I had a lot to learn at the point. But I think even just the way that my mind works and you know i've often been told you know it's a silver medal you know you won the silver medal and it's a huge accomplishment and it absolutely is but i think when your your whole life is around this one moment and you are working and working and you know you fall short it feels like the biggest failure and the biggest disappointment so yeah in that moment i was it was really hard, and I, I'm grateful my family quickly helped me put everything in perspective. Did someone actually manage to set you straight, sort of tell you, no, Allison, this was a good thing? My mom. <laughs> my mom, immediately after. I mean, I think she just, she saw the tears, she saw the disappointment, and I think she saw that I didn't understand what had just happened, and that this is not like the California state meet anymore, you know, this is, <laughs> this is the Olympic Games, and just... Yeah, she gave me that perspective that a mother can quickly give. <laughs> so for the next four years, it's correct to say that basically you organized your life around the Beijing Olympics of 2008 and winning the gold. Is that right? Absolutely. Uh, what was that like? What does it mean to organize your life for four years around one goal? It's really hard, um, especially at that age. At this time, I had just, I'm in college, you know, I'm at USC, and I'm having a different experience than all of my friends. I thought I was going to go to USC and compete on the track team, but I turned pro, and so I'm going to Europe, and I'm racing, and I'm, you know, competing against people who are much older than me, and I'm kind of thrust into this world. And it was really isolating, kind of lonely, you know, for that time period, you know, as friends are going to parties and just having that traditional college experience. Yeah. It's surprising to hear that, Allison, because it's like when we think about the star athletes on campus, we just imagine their social lives are insane and they get invited <laughs> to everything that the regular kids don't, you know? Yeah, I had the same feeling, but at that time it was like <laughs> USC football was like everything and those athletes were 
literally stars. And uh... so you were competing in the sport that did not yet, for example, have celebrity runner Usain Bolt. That was not quite so glamorous. Absolutely. You know, in the U.S., track is not a popular sport. And so, mm-hmm. yeah, people had kind of heard of me and, you know, they might recognize me on campus here and there. But um, yeah, definitely wasn't the star on campus at all. <laughs> Interesting. So you're organizing your life around a goal that many people would not appreciate because it's not football. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and then yeah. you get to 2008 Beijing Olympics. Mm-hmm. Women's 4x4 relay is underway. And you compete. And you win a gold medal. It for the U.S. Russia second, Jamaica third. I did get a gold in the relay. But in the individual 200. Oh, Campbell Brown got much the better start than Alison Felix. It's going to be Campbell Brown all the way. Felix second. I got a silver. <laughs> Another silver. So just explain. Explain to people who are listening, why were you disappointed in the gold in the rally race? Yeah, so I wasn't necessarily disappointed in that gold, but as a track and field athlete, you know, the relay is amazing. It's a lot of fun to be a part of. And that was my first gold medal as a part of the relay. Um, But, you know, you spend your all of your time working on your individual event. You know, it's really that event that you want to have that ultimate success in. And so for me, this was, you know, my second Olympics, second time I'm running the 200 meters. And the second time that I get a silver medal to the exact same person. So at this point, yes, in Athens, I was disappointed. In Beijing, I was devastated. There was never any real threat from the Americans. Alison Felix just could not live. There, there wasn't any words that my mom could tell me to, to help me out of this one. You joked with your competitor, a woman named Veronica Campbell-Brown of Jamaica. You joked at a press conference that you would trade the world championships you'd already won for that that gold, the gold that she had. Yeah, a little bit of a joke, a little bit of truth. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh-huh. Yeah, I had done really well in the world championships and at the Olympics, you know, that was still the medal that was missing for me. And so, but it did, it meant that much to me, you know, it was, hmm. that was my ultimate goal. And so to keep missing that, it was really challenging for me. Do you think that, how hard you were on yourself, that kind of like unflinching, hyper-aggressive, but you didn't get the gold you wanted, that kind of mindset. Is it fuel that's useful? Looking back, I don't think it was healthy. But at the same time, I do think it's that mindset that forced me to say that when you do have a defeat or when you do have a failure, that there's a lesson to learn in it. And instead of letting that failure consume you, you learn the lesson and you you move forward. Um, it was. I mean, it, it drove me for the next four years. It helped me. Um, because I constantly went back to that place of, I don't want to experience this again, and I want to change things. And so it wasn't a driving force for me. So Allison, you have four more years to meet the goal that you set out when you were 18. In the women's 200 meters. Which is win the gold in the 200 meters. There is Allison Felix, primed and ready to capture that elusive individual gold medal. You go to your next Olympics in 2012. Silver twice in the last two Olympics. And Allison Felix now takes a short lead. Veronica Campbell-Brown, Shelly Ann Fraser-Price 
Frazier, Price, and Phoenix. Here are the two battling to the line. And Allison Phoenix gets her goal. Allison Phoenix wins the gold medal. And you achieve your goal. You're gold medalist in the 200. Are you satisfied? <laughs> I am. I am fulfilled. I am, you know, have all the joy. But at the same time, I will say... <laughs> When I, I think it's the fact that I like built it up to be this monumental moment and it didn't live up to what I had built it up to be. Hmm. That was always really interesting to me. Like, oh, I wonder why, you know, I, I thought everything was going to change, you know, when I get this gold medal and I'm going back and I'm like, my life seems like it hasn't really changed much and life continues on. And I had to kind of unpack that over even the years and I think I just, I, I miss that the magic is in the journey. I wish I embraced that more than just solely focusing on that one goal. Hmm. So I kind of hate to ask this because you never really know the counterfactual. You don't really know what would have happened if something else happened, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But if you were just sort of to riff with me, in 2012, if you went back to the Olympics and you didn't get that gold in the 200, how do you think you would have dealt with that? I hope that I would have been okay. I remember before I walked out to the track, um, you know, that night in London, and it was the first time I felt really like a sense of calm and peace. And I was mm-hmm. at a place where I knew mm-hmm. there was nothing else I could do. I think in Beijing, I still had that question, you know, can I change things? Can I be better? In London, I was quite certain that I had I had done all the things. There wasn't anything that was going to make me better at that point. You had more serenity the night before. Absolutely. Yeah, because I think your mind always wonders, well, what if this doesn't come together? And mm-hmm. so being at a place where, well, if it doesn't come together, like, it's going to be okay. Let's go on now to the second part of what I said I wanted to discuss with you, um, Mm -hmm. motherhood, which I think is also interestingly the rebellious chapter of your life. We don't. (laughs) (laughs) I know. It's weird. (laughs) Can you explain the timing of motherhood for you? Like after the 2016 Olympics, you won more medals than any other woman in the history of American track. How did you decide when the right time was to become pregnant. It was interesting. No one ever sat me down and was like, well, you can't have a baby while you're competing. But at the same time, I never saw it celebrated. Like I, there wasn't a time that I saw, you know, oh, here's this woman who has done this and this is amazing. Like I didn't have, there wasn't that role model or someone. What I did see is teammates, friends struggle hide pregnancies, have contracts be paused. So for me, I kind of felt like, okay, well, that's something that will happen when I'm done competing. Mm-hmm. Did you want to do it earlier than age 34 or 35? I, I don't necessarily say that I wanted to do it earlier, but I, I guess I never even let my mind go there. Like I never felt like I had the option. So it was just something that I never really even thought about as a possibility. Because you saw what other women athletes would go through if and when they decided to let themselves go there. Absolutely. Yeah. And I I knew that, you know, my job 
literally was to perform at the highest level. And I didn't see how the two really coexisted. And did male athletes go through that? Did you see men have to worry about when, if and when they had a baby? No, I saw the exact opposite. You know, I saw friends of mine who relatively came on the scene at the same time. And I, I remember, you know, moments on the track where I'm doing a victory lap and they're doing a victory lap with their child and they don't miss a beat. And so it was two different worlds completely. Like her male counterparts, Allison Felix made the bulk of her money as a pro athlete, not from the sport, but from the sponsorship deals. At age 24, she became a lead spokesperson for Nike. There's no better feeling than knowing that you gave 100% and that there was nothing left to give. It was a groundbreaking deal. Her manager, who's also her big brother, believes they managed to get the shoe brand to pay her nearly what they would pay a man. You know that saying, make plans and God laughs? Allison's decision to start a family coincided, very inconveniently, with another very big development. She was up for renewal with Nike. She entered contract negotiations, and right off the bat, Nike told her, we want to pay you 70% less. Did you tell Nike going into these negotiations, hey, by the way, um, you're star athlete, you're superstar athlete, and I'm ready for motherhood? Not at the very beginning. It came to a point where I didn't have anything on paper yet, and I knew that if I shared the news that the offer would probably disappear or Mm. drastically change. Mm. It was very clear that I did not hold the same value that I had before. And based on what? Why did your value drop going into these negotiations, according to them? According to them, I, I would assume that it was age. What I got was that my best days were behind me. I don't think they believed that I would do anything beyond that point. Mm, that you had peaked. Did you believe that you had peaked? No, I, I had every reason to believe that um, that there was no reason that I had to stop at that point. Uh huh. Obviously, I understand that you know sports is a business, and I I absolutely get that. And I think you know being at the company for so long, there's this um, sense of family that was preached to me, and I think mm-hmm. I just I so bought into it. And to me, it was a number that showed me that they didn't believe in me. But I think what hurt was the fact that they didn't believe in me. It was just, I'm that type of person where it's like, wow, that speaks volumes to me. So as you're in these contract negotiations that are going very badly, you become pregnant. Yes, it's happening at the same time, which was extremely scary. Did you ever have the thought and if I'm overstepping, please feel free to push back. But did you ever have the thought of these contract negotiations aren't done? I can't be pregnant right now. No, I, I didn't have that thought. Um, I had seen people who never disclosed their pregnancy, who signed a new contract and share the information after. So I think if anything, was that a possibility? You know, kind of like mm-hmm. laying out my options that way. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I knew that I, I had always wanted to be a mother. And to me, it was just like, okay, mm-hmm. I, I might not be able to run anymore. You know, I might not have a mm-hmm. sponsor anymore. It was, I was going more in that direction. So you were actually just willing to lose it. Yeah. And if, well, I mean, I felt like it was 
like almost a choice was being taken from me. I mean, starting where we were, it was like, well, you know, at this point, it's almost my pride is like, I'll just, maybe I should just do this on my own. You know, maybe I mm. don't need this sponsor. Or like their position was just so extreme. You were like, I don't even know what they're leading me to. Yeah, to exactly. I see. I went through your Instagram feed back during that time. And I noticed that in that time, there was no mention of pregnancy. You didn't, mm. you didn't do any showing your baby bump, any of that. Yeah. Yeah. And that was all because of the negotiations. And so it was, you know, a time that I wish could have been a really happy time a time that was celebrated. It was a time where I was training at four o'clock in the morning so that nobody would see me. I was literally mm. barely came outside of the house and because I was so fearful that, you know, they would find out I would, this would be taken away. And, um, and I was, there was just so much uncertainty at the time. I, I wasn't even sure kind of like, what is the next step? I was trying to kind of like figure it all out. That hurts. That hurts to hear. Yeah. yeah it was really hard, but I also felt like I had seen other people do that, you know? And it was like, is this just what happens, you know? And, yeah. um, so I, I knew I wasn't the first, but it was still a really sad moment. When did you decide to go public with the fact of expecting a child? Well, I I didn't until my daughter was born. I was 32 weeks pregnant and I was going in for a routine doctor's appointment. And later on that day, I had an um, interview with ESPN and I was going to share the news then. And it was at that point that things kind of spiraled out of control with my pregnancy. I was diagnosed with a severe case of preeclampsia. And, um, and so I, I was admitted to the hospital and then things just kind of kept getting worse. We were trying to make it as far as we could. And the doctors thought maybe two weeks I could be in the hospital and, you know, we could get that far along. And then I just had a really bad night and, um, ended up having to have an emergency C-section and, um, and yeah, I was in the hospital for a bit and my daughter was in the NICU for about a month. Oh, wow. I'm sorry. Yeah. I've never had that experience. I hope to never have that experience. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, And I wonder, was it just intuitive and your entire body, like on hypercharge, went into this focus, similarly to how you'd focused on the gold medal? Or were you conflicted? Was this sort of oh, there's the unnegotiated Nike deal, there's this, there's that. What, was your mind a clutter with everything that had been weighing on you? Yeah, it kind of all went away. It was in the background, mm. but it just, it felt so unimportant. When your daughter's in the NICU, do you get to hold her? I did, yes. Um, on the second day, I, I held her. And, um, and then, you know, she's in an incubator for the majority of the time, but I got to take her out for feedings and, and things like that. But um, I, being in the NICU is such a heavy experience. And it's also, you know, you're surrounded by all these other families and everybody has a different, um, their child is going through different things. And so even just being able to hold my daughter, you know, that's something that some mothers and families don't get to do for months. And so it just, they felt like big wins. And, you know, we definitely, um, mm. you know, celebrated every step along the way. I could imagine how things that are what we take for granted, so small and incremental, like, am I going to be able to hold her today would yeah. feel incredibly weighted. Yeah. Even going home from the hospital every day was like, 
I think it was a bit triggering. It's just like, you know, who expects to leave the hospital without their child? And, um, and yeah, but I, I'm grateful that we had a happy story in the end. Is there a lesson, Allison, that you learned from that, that, you know, I asked you previously about what you learned from your, from your performance and your mindset at the Olympics. Mm-hmm. What did you learn from this experience? I really, I think for the first time, like being authentically and unapologetically myself, mm-hmm. stepping into motherhood, just kind of put down the, the fears of what people might think. And then also recognizing my own strength, that I am strong and that I can go through hard things and I can come out on the other side of them. And um, for me, I think that was a huge lesson during that time period. Is that shift in identity scary? And, you know, I, I ask that because, you know, I'll, I'll share with you, Allison, here. Mm-hmm. I'm six and a half months. Oh, congratulations. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> you I, would never know. You're up. <laughs> oh, hell yeah, girl. Thanks. Um, and I regularly look down at my belly. I'm very grateful, very grateful for what's growing inside. And I regularly think to myself, hey, little thing in there, are you going to destroy my creative life? Yeah. <laughs> it's so funny because I feel like it's absolutely the opposite. It's like, oh my gosh, I... I I felt like becoming a mother gave me an entire new motivation and perspective professionally. And yeah, I I think I had the same almost thoughts like, am I going to be the same person? You know, am I going to have the same drive? And I think it's just amazing how bringing life into this world kind of shifts and evolves you and kind of brings you to different places. After the break, Allison Felix, a mother now, is still in negotiations with Nike, and she goes into uncharted territory, political activism. It's for my daughter. It's for my friends, children. You know, it's so much greater than any gold medal feeling could have ever given me. This is Art of Power. I'm Arthi Shahani. Think on your feet for our Fast and Curious 5K, a -a one-of-a-kind race hosted by WBEZ and the Chicago Sun-Times on Saturday, July 27th at Humboldt Park. More info and early bird registration at wbez.org slash events. In the United States, we value mothers in theory and with Hallmark cards, but we do not value mothers legally speaking. The state of maternity protections is, to put it diplomatically, utterly pathetic. Women who are employees of certain companies are entitled to 12 weeks of unpaid leave after they shed their insides giving life. Unpaid. And women like Allison Felix, who are not employees, who are under a contract with companies like Nike, they are entitled to nothing. And that is why her big brother and manager... Wes Felix freaked out when his sis told him that she and her husband were trying to conceive. Yeah, I was like, I love you. You know, I'm here for you, like the right words. And then I got in my car and I drove and I sat there and I was just like, oh, my gosh, my sister said she's about to 
start a family, like, okay, that's first grandchild for my parents. And like, that's all a big deal. But then also like, wait, 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 but what about Nike? And they already feel like they don't want her right now. You know, like when they find out that she has a baby, like there's no saving this deal. The deal goes away. But the deal did not go away. Wes Felix managed to save it. After the birth of Allison's baby, Nike agreed to renew her contract with a 60% pay cut instead of the original 70% they'd proposed. They also agreed to give her a 12-month grace period post-pregnancy. So if she didn't spring right back to gold-level performance, she wouldn't be punished. Not the best deal, but a deal. Still, Allison could not get herself to sign it. About six, seven months after you have your baby girl, you come out in a very big way. You publish an essay in the New York Times saying, quote, I've been one of Nike's most widely marketed athletes. If I can't secure maternity protections, who can? Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I went from staying under the radar to sharing it all, which was terrifying. Uh And I got to a point in the negotiations where the money was what the money was and it didn't even matter anymore. But what I was asking for was maternal protections. They were just not willing to do it. They were willing to allow me the time, but they were not willing to put language in the contract that set a precedent for all women. Oh, they would carve out the exception for you, but not for women in general. They would carve it out for me, but they wouldn't tie it to pregnancy. Mm. And at this point, it wasn't just for me. You know, it, I mean, I'm already taking, you know, so much less to me. It's like, if I can, at least if I can accomplish something through all of this, then, then that's a win for me. A win, because if Nike put the term maternity protection in Allison's contract, that would create a precedent that other female athletes could use. Nike wouldn't do that. And yet, Nike really wanted to look like a pro-woman's brand. I had been asked to um, take part in their Women's World Cup campaign. But the craziest dream of all... is the one that starts a million more. And it was essentially this campaign that was like telling young girls that they could do anything. And to me, that was the last... At the same that was, time. That was it. At, At the, the same, same time. time. At the same time. And so... That just feels so know, sinister. <laughs> it's crazy. I was like, what? So this... Uh, and so that's, that's what made me come forward. It was that moment. And I, I just came to the point where, okay, if, if I lose everything, if I never have another sponsor, I, I just deeply believe that this is the right thing to do. Mm. If you were to reflect a little bit on the timing of it, because you came out with this really explicit op-ed that I mean, like it blew up and people paid attention. Were you encouraged because you had seen other female athletes begin to speak out? Mm-hmm. Were you encouraged because you saw a shift going on? Like, you strike me as a very strategic person who does not just blow things up. <laughs> yeah, yes. And and then I think this was a moment of just raw honesty. Mm. And it did. It started with other 
friends of mine. So Alicia Montano, she had her New York Times op-ed piece come out. I'm Alicia Montano. I'm an Olympian. I'm a national champion. And I've been one of the top three runners in the entire world. And I'm a mother. We were kind of working behind the scenes to be included anonymously. Oh, anonymous. Okay. Yeah. And so I on Instagram, like I was kind of alluding to this is a very difficult period and, you know, but um, hadn't just come out with it. And so Mm -hmm. it was after she spoke and I felt like some power in that. Mm -hmm. And even though I knew I was already involved in it, I, it was the moment after kind of the world cup thing that I said, like, I want to put my name to this. Like I, I have to share. And and tell me actually a, a bit about the reaction then you just, you are not anonymous emboldened by your girlfriends and their brave acts. You go on the mm-hmm. record. And what's the reaction? Um, it was actually so much encouragement from other women. Again, it was heartbreaking because I was getting flooded with these other stories. So like from all industries, you know, people sharing with me their own stories of hiding pregnancies, of sharing pregnancies and being taken off assignments and just like all of these horrible things that just weren't right. Um, obviously there was some negativity, but for, mm. for the most part, it felt, um, it felt like I was supported. And what do you mean by negativity? I think, you know, there was definitely, there's always going to be, you know, the other side of things where it's like people saying, well, you're pregnant. Of course you, mm. as an athlete, you know, you're not doing your job in the same way. And, you know, so there's that I side see. of things as well. Right, right. Like if I were a quote unquote fair and balanced reporter, I would be asking you, well, Allison, since you don't spring right back to sprinting, shouldn't you be paid less? That kind of thing? Yes, exactly. Okay. Yeah. And you're not, well, you're not working in that time period. And so there was all of those things as well. The same month Allison shared her story in the New York Times, she also went to Congress and testified before the House Ways and Means Committee. We need to provide women of color with more support during their pregnancies. And just three months after she and other female athletes went public about their maternity journeys with Nike specifically, the company changed its policy. Nike says it's changing contracts for female athletes to protect their pay during pregnancy. The company thanks. You know, you've said about yourself, Alison Felix, that you're not the type to protest or rally. Mm-hmm. Since you're not that type, right? You're stepping into a very new role, a very new voice. What had been before your internal reaction to athletes' political activism before that time? Because there's a mm. long history of athletes' political activism, right? Very recently, we can cite in 2016, NFL player Colin Kaepernick you know, taking a knee during the national anthem. I just can't stand for what this represents right now. It's not right. You can go further back. Look at Muhammad Ali, the boxer. But I would like to say that there is another alternative, and that alternative is justice. You can look at Billie Jean King, the tennis player. The day that you expect people to give back to you for what you've given, and you haven't given in the first place. Throughout time, athletes, a handful, have been politically very active and vociferous. Mm-hmm. And, and how did you react to that previously? You're an eight reaction. I think I just had a sense of admiration, full admiration, because I, I feel like not every athlete has, even if you have that courage, you might not have the ability to take that loss or whatever it might be. So 
Um, I think I always just had admiration. But it didn't feel like something you could do, or you also just didn't feel like there was a cause for which I really need to take this risk? No, I felt like early in my career that just like I didn't want to rock the boat. Like I just, Mm -hmm. I wanted to stay in my lane. And so it was almost like, almost like I wish I could do that. But like, I, I don't know, like I'm, I got to stay in this box and I got to make sure that I make everybody happy. And yeah, Mm -hmm. it took a lot of time and maturing to be able to break out of that. What's your advice for someone else who's in your shoes? There is power in your voice and you have to speak your truth. And that's no matter the size of your platform. Allison, I agree with you. I love that message. I think it's beautiful. I also know you waited a long time before using that extraordinary voice. Yeah. But do you also have a lesson about when it's most effective to use that power? Absolutely. And I think that's, I'm glad you pointed that out. I think that for each and every person, it's a personal journey. And I think that's absolutely okay. It took me a really long time to get this to this place. And I'm grateful I arrived. And I think, you know, some people are ready right away and others need more time. And um, I think it's really about evaluating like your life and where you are and what makes sense for your family and how, you know, the risk of it all. Um, And I think sometimes it's doing things not in such a bold way. It's having a conversation with your friends and starting there and starting small, but I don't think it takes away anything to start somewhere and to start with someone. How was your decision to walk away from Nike a calculated risk? When I decided to walk away at that point, there wasn't like a next thing coming. There wasn't, you know, there wasn't like, oh, okay, I'm walking away, but I know I have this in the bag over here. There was none of that. And so that's where I'll say like it was a very raw and honest moment because it's very unlike me to do something like that. Allison didn't calculate that Nike would fold. She also didn't know that her activism would prompt another company to come knocking at her door. Athleta, the popular athleisure brand owned by The Gap, hired Allison to be their first pro-athlete spokesperson. Nike, Allison says, reduced her value to her runtime, her wins on the track. Athleta, she says, they bet that her brand was bigger than that. The year after you have your baby girl and you have signed with Athleta, you're, you know, back on track, uh, pun intended. Very weak pun. Sorry. I wish I had a better one this episode. (laughs) It wasn't good. (laughs) You try out again for the Olympics. This would be the 2020 Olympics. Final heat of the women's 200. Top two will go through. And you qualify again. You qualify for the Olympics. Allison is racing her way back into the top three. Quinera Hayes gets there. Felix makes the team. There is a lot on the line when you go. Technically, you go in 2021. It's delayed a year because of COVID. There's a lot mm-hmm. on the line. You are now not just Allison Felix, the star runner who checks the boxes. You are Allison Felix who broke the boxes. You're a mom. You're an outspoken feminist athlete, dare I say. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and we know how the world works. Plenty of people want to see you lose. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And you show up for the Olympic races not wearing a trusted brand like Nike or Adidas. Mm-hmm. You show up 
wearing your own shoes, literally from the company <laughs> you and your brother started, Seish. Yes. I think it's the first time that we've had an athlete in track and field running in a brand that they own. That brand launched this week. So Allison Felix, it's good to be Allison Felix this week. <laughs> your fifth Olympic team and you're running in shoes that you design in a company that you own. Homemade sneakers. <laughs> With yeah. so much on the line, how did you feel confident to do that? Oh, it was such a wild, everything it, looking back was, you know, it was crazy. Um, but I felt confident because we had an incredible team. And so, you know, we, I was so frustrated, you know, after everything, the whole experience. And I'm talking with my brother, Wes, and I'm like, I, I've been to four Olympics. I'm at this point in my career. I've had this huge, you know, thing with Nike and, you know, I'm on this new path and I, I know that I still have more left and I don't have a footwear sponsor. I, I literally do not have shoes to wear in the Olympics. And he is like, well, you know, what if we did this ourselves? And, you know, we're in the middle of the pandemic and everything. And I'm like, that that just seems like a lot. (laughs) Um, (laughs) And did you ever at some point in that conversation tell him you've lost your damn mind? Yeah, at the at the very beginning, it was like, okay, all right. Like Wes is a big he's a dreamer and he has these huge visions. And I'm like, okay, another one of your big dreams. Like, cool. Uh, All right. So talk to you later. (laughs) But the more I sat with it, I was like, no, like, you're absolutely right. Like, here is the opportunity to stop asking for change and to create it. And we did. Like, we did everything during the pandemic. We put together this incredible team and we created shoes. And to be able to, at the same time, create these shoes for other women Mm -hmm. to wear and, um, you know, they're a lifestyle, it's a lifestyle sneaker. Then that was like the embodiment of everything that our company represented. Amazing. And so with your homemade shoes, you show up. And Allison Felix a little quicker than you might think. And Allison Felix. Felix running hard, trying to get there first. You win again the bronze medal. How do you feel? This time I actually felt like I won the bronze medal. It was the Mm. first time in my entire career I could ever remember that I did not come in first and I still had so much joy, fulfillment. And I think it's just, it was the process of of evolving, you know, that there are women who see themselves in me, like there's, it's such a greater purpose. And I think also just all of the hardship, it was like, at, at one point I was fighting for my life and I'm at the Olympics, like this is absolutely incredible. And then looking down and seeing the Seish emblem on my shoe and it's like, and I did it in my own shoes. Like I couldn't have dreamt anymore. The win was, it was really for a lot more people. That's the perfect way to describe it. And that's how I felt. Like, this is so beyond me. It's for my daughter. It's for my friends, children. You know, it's so much greater than any gold medal feeling could have ever given me. My lessons from Allison Felix. One, happiness and achievement are two different things. Obsession really can get you far. Hunger hurts, and it can force you to be great, though it may not make you happy. Two, taking a principled stance can feel like you're blowing up relationships, closing doors, 
In reality, you may be blasting new doors open. Three, often we feel we must hide an identity, mother, queer, minority, because there's an entire system in place punishing us for having that identity. If you have the platform, the ability to turn the microscope from yourself to that system, just do it. This episode of Art of Power was produced by Justin Bull, Hina Srivastava, and me, Arthi Shahani. It was mixed by Joe Dissot. Our intern is Sylvia Goodman. Our executive producer is Kevin Dawson. If you liked what you heard, show us some love on Apple Podcasts or share it. Nothing like word of mouth. Tell me what you think. On Instagram and Twitter, I'm at Arthi411. A-A-R-T-I-411. For exclusive offers, you can sign up for the Art of Power newsletter at wbez.org slash AOP newsletter. All right, see you next week. Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR.